1: Can you confirm to everyone else that doesn't live in the West Country that when, when your family opened up a large body shop business, it was called Dick Dick Lovett Spraymaster.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good name, that. Good name. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another Collecting Addicts podcast. I'm told this is episode 11, which is amazing. I never thought we'd get... This far again, we have some deeply, deeply important issues to discuss this week. Beginning with what's your favorite Ford? <laughs> um, I'm gonna start off with, fast Ford, wasn't it? Uh, well, it could be a fast forward, but ultimately, it's a Ford, isn't it, Edward? Let's not let's not let's not argue about the blue oval. Back on the list, then. What's your favorite Jesus Christ? He's got it about him today, boys. Watch out. What's your favorite fast forward Neil Clifford?
3: The Professionals. <laughs> I mean, what an amazing TV series. I, I've gone the Capri 3 litre S. Three liter S, yeah. Yeah. Those twin, you know, when you saw a Capri and you'd walk around the back and you'd see the two it, exhaust pipes. Yeah, proper one. You'd, you'd go, oh no. Then you'd look inside and it had the six dials, if I remember, two big ones and the and four. Then four little ones around the two big ones and those amazing seats with the bolsters and the check the cloth check that was the car and i think i think whichever one in the professionals was both, there was, was there both. was an rs2000 wasn't there and then there was, there oh. was the capri yeah. and it had the i think it had the x-pack kit Do you remember the rare x-pack body kit that you no. could get on the, the mark ii cortina Mark Mark II Escort, sorry, the eighteen hundred BDA, and this also had a X Pack kit,
1: so it would be without doubt the Capri three litre S. I think it's a great choice. I'd also love to have been part of the group of people that was allowed to decide what constituted a three litre S over a normal Capri. Can you imagine sitting in that room and going, right, we're going to give oh, them, we're yeah. going to give them those extra dials there. What should the seat look like? I would have clinched it by bringing children in and going right. What excites you most when you walk past the car and you peer through the window? Does that seat look better? Forget about how they felt or whether they gripped you at all.
4: Neil, do um, you remember the very, very first episode of the Professionals? Because it had just no. this amazing plot. I remember it now. They had this amazing plot. Somebody had a gun, and it could assassinate someone one mile away. Oh, with and the they red had to dot sight assassin. I do remember the red dot sight. Yes, yes, unbelievable. And he had to take into account wind velocity. No, you're going to believe this. I think they ended up. It was either on Swap Shop or something. You had Bodie and Doyle talking about a show which stops a guy assassinating someone with all these eight-year-olds. It was.
3: was Yeah, I mean,
5: it's essential training. 018118055.
3: 18, 018, 0, 018 yeah. yeah, we worked that out,
1: didn't we? Mike no, for conversation. Yeah. Um, Mike Edward, Edward no, your your family doesn't tend to deal with Fords um, in the dealership circles, but w- do you like Fords, and do you have a favourite fast Ford?
2: Well, as I said to you the other day, can I hate Fords like Neil hates Japanese no. cars? Neil <laughs> no.
4: doesn't hate Japanese cars. He's not in exactly. love with them.
2: He's changed his mind now. I realise no, he... that. But, and actually... I, I, I almost, I dismissed so many Fords when Ford came to my head to start with, but actually, I love Ford because <laughs> you've got, you've got, you've got GT40s and Mustangs and things like that. But actually, the, the one I love the most is not a car; it's an engine. What's that? And it's the DFE. Okay,
1: oh, okay, no. you You know no, what? Yeah, not a Ford. Am I
2: allowed? Yeah. Am I allowed that? And, yeah, and that. obviously, that DFE's got to go in a car and i've chosen two cars that's going to go in of course you have i've I've raced against both of them both whooped past me because i was in i was in a four cylinder car <laughs> uh, one of them one of them was a matra yeah um Ooh. which is amazing but the other one is a ligier js2 which did tour auto and that <laughs> i don't think that car should have ever had a, a, a dfv engine in it but Go on to YouTube, Google Ligier JS2 with a Matra engine, or sorry, with the uh, yeah. DFV. The wow, uh, I
3: didn't know there were road cars with that engine in.
2: But there probably wasn't meant to be, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they, they, they also put that engine in the Ford Transit vans when they were doing those superman, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, so I think you're, I think you you couldn't have been more tangential there, but you're allowed all of it, Edward, because it's um because we love a DFV, you can't get enough. Just a quick straw poll. Put your hands up if you're DFV or BDA. DFV, BDA. Both. I can't have oh for God's sake. Oh okay. not? Where's the right. We can't uh, have both. Manish, what's your favourite Ford? I bet it's a racing car.
4: No, it's not a racing car, actually. I the, probably the first Ford I fell in love with was the um Ford Mustang, the GT 390 fastback that Steve McQueen just made famous in mm. probably the most famous, you know, car chase in a film I and mean, we only did bond last week but i think that car is just it's so beautiful and i was doing a little bit of research yesterday and someone was selling one you know in an american and they did that kind of classic video and say if you look inside it's got bucket seats they don't look like bucket seats, they look like seats. <laughs> but look at the dial I and mean, he he lifts the hood and it's just pristine 390 i think it was the s wasn't it the fast whatever the block was a v8 very very fast block and this thing had a four-speed manual, because I have been in one. One
5: once. floor.
4: Yeah, and the, and the back of the car, just that, you know, the in Mustang, uh, in in Bullet, it was the one that had the, the three lights on each side it's but a kind of black panel, yeah. didn't yeah. it? And yeah. It just had the Ford logo in the middle of the bucking Bronco.
3: That's they recently it. sold that car, didn't they? Found it and sold it. No, no they did. Uh, you want anyone agree yeah. here? So
1: if we had a straw poll, I'm afraid to say that the Mustang's never really done it for me because I'm Charger yeah. Man. And I just, for me, the Charger in that film is the, is the eye candy, not the Mustang. I just love a Charger. Maybe it's Dukes of Hazard. I don't know what it is, but I just love a Charger.
3: The eye candy in that movie is Steve McQueen, really. I know Steve McQueen is the eye candy, even for a man that, you know.
1: Okay, fair enough. Jacqueline Bissett, he's
3: the, he's, he's the eye candy. Does anyone remember Jacqueline Bissett in Bullet? Am I the only
1: one? Oh,
4: GP's daughter, are you kidding? How do you forget someone
2: like that? I know. Well, I don't <laughs> think we can. I don't
1: think you You're can. You're quite right. You uh, Chris, it's a um, Mustang Chris...
2: car of don't meet your heroes.
1: Yeah, probably, yeah. Chris yeah. Uh, Chris Cooper, tell us your favourite fast Ford. So I
5: think Ford, I'd go so far as to say, I think Ford, for those of us of a certain age, but also younger, I think Ford is possibly the most important brand that's given us enthusiasm for motorsport, for cars, for performance. I mean, it's a cliche to say it's the blue-collar performance car or it's democratized it, but it was just everywhere. I can, and I, I can remember, I grew up in Kent, and there was a Ford dealer in Ashford in Kent near where I grew up. It was John Wilmant. And I remember just sort of, and they had a book in their dealerships before you could Google stuff. And John Wilman had run Galaxies in British touring car racing in the 60s. This was, you know, mid-70s. And I just thought, they'd done proper stuff. And they had come November, because it was always November, when the RAC rally was on. And they'd had, I don't know whether all four dealers had this, but the one in our town had was, there was a, and I assumed it was a real one, because I was about 10, and I assumed it must be real. There was that red Cossack-sponsored, Mark II, RS 1800, Roger Roger Clark's car in the show. And I just thought this was impossibly exciting. I mean, I had little tingly things all over before I knew that things could tingle. And in the next town up, Maystone in Kent, there was Haynes. I think it's Haynes of Maystone. I think it's still there. They were even more impressive because they were a Ford RS dealer. So that meant they could sell road cars. And I think probably the homologated rally cars. And I remember one day driving past, seeing in the window probably a Mexico Mark II Mexico and a Mark II RS eighteen hundred. Only one I'd ever seen as a road car. It was a, you could buy it as a road car, RS eighteen hundred. Beautiful. And everyone was excited by it. So I'd probably say it's probably the RS eighteen hundred Mark II. And it, and there's a bit of symmetry here because my my boys are now twenty and they're totally into, how did that happen? They're totally into cars and they love cars and racing. When I asked my boys, I asked Cameron last night, what's your favorite fast Ford? And he said, it's a Mark II Ford Escort, but with a Millington engine in it, that sort of 2.3, 2.5, 300 horsepower. And I thought the dream is still alive. There's sort of that image of Ford. Okay, they're not called Ford Escorts. They'll MST make them and they're called a Mark II, aren't they? So I think I think we all owe Ford a huge debt of gratitude. And I'm sort of... Quite glad to see that they're still playing with motorsport in Formula One in a few years' time with Red Bull. But yeah, it would have to be RS eighteen hundred that I saw
1: in the window of Hayes and Maystone late seventies. Well, at least we've got a Mark II in there. We had to have a Mark II in there. Sensational car. Oh, yeah. You're not looking to work for Ford anytime soon, are you? It felt like a call to action, that did Chris? Are they looking to be a client? Well, or... you know,
5: you know, sort of many may be called, but few will, few will answer. And I, I might, I might. <laughs> I, I could
1: answer that one. Yeah. I wonder whether you've got the blue oval on your pants this morning. Anyway, it's lovely to hear <laughs>
5: like, that um funny you should that say it. Poli-
1: Can I- no, I won't show you. Got a little political yeah. message. Um so here we go. Uh Mark Two's on my list, obviously. I've got one as a rally car and there's something about seeing a photo of it on the lock stops on gravel, uh doing its thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure that there is a I'm not sure if I was running for that there could be an image that I'd be more proud of. But I don't I'm not sure it's relevant to the company anymore I, I echo chris's thoughts that ford obviously was created to make money uh the old man himself was all about making money but i think we have to respect the fact that they plowed so much of that profit back into entertaining us yeah and they didn't have to do that they no. probably didn't sell many more cars on the back of it either but they they had it in their blood and i i think that that needs to be respected i've got some weird ones i drove a i drove a, a mondeo two liter that was the one that was launched in Two thousand, I think, or two thousand and one. Yeah. I drove it from John O'Groat's to um, Lands End and back again. And it was a pre-prod car. And I had to do a story for someone. And you know, when you bond with a very yeah. ordinary car because you live in it, it just struck me that we were so lucky that under that Richard Parry Jones era, uh, who yeah. recently, recently passed away, very sad. What he did do is, if it, to use that word that Chris used, he democratized great dynamics because in the past the dynamics of, a, of an expensive car um, were unique to those. And Mercedes had independent rear suspension and it had it had had years spent on the way it's, its tires worked with its springs and its dampers. And Perry Jones said, there's no need for that just to be an expensive car, let's have it on cheap cars. So you'd suddenly get into a Ford Focus. Well, it was the Mondeo of 93 actually that changed everything. It was. Suddenly there was this Mondeo that had fully independent suspension. It was just amazing chassis, Lovely the way that drive. it rode and steered. Um, and he carried that on. And the, the next Fiesta was the same. Uh, so I think they, we owe them that. But there's there's a couple of cars that stand out for me. Um, I've got this thing about the Raptor in America. Whenever I'm in America, I love driving a Raptor. Because I think that that reminds me that Ford has a very different image over there. Yeah. Over here, Ford is the car of the people. Over there, Ford is it's just America. Um, and I respect that. And I do love, I shouldn't love them, but I love a Raptor. But there's one car that stands out for me. Uh, the first generation Focus RS uh, was something that I've, I reckon I've done fifty, sixty thousand miles in these things. Yeah. There's opinion split on them, but go and look at a picture of one now. There's no car that sits on the road better. It's got stance. It's yeah. got stance. They, they are ferociously fast in the in the right hands, uh, and and the story behind it, which which is story for another day means the car should never have existed. It was a total folly. They lost money on every single one. And that's another subject of conversation, which is are cars even greater if they're built in the knowledge they're going to lose money?
3: Yeah.
1: And I think that there's something about that that I love. So for me, long-winded, first-generation focus. Good, Chris. Nice. Now, nice. Yeah. international road trip roads. And I'll tell you why it's international, because I'm slightly against sharing UK roads, because I think they should remain between us. We shouldn't give that information out, because otherwise people go to those roads and they cause grief for the people that live there. I'm a bit funny like that. So, Hill Clifford, where would you go if you took oh. your passport and you had a car?
3: Well, my, my biggest memory is the A1, and that's not the A1 from Highgate to Edinburgh or wherever the arm one goes. goes to Edinburgh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's the A1 that goes from Melbourne to Cairns, and i drove this road it's 4000 miles <laughs> and it took 4 months and i was in a volkswagen camper and it was 1993 and i did it with my now wife and i had the most amazing experience the biggest memories of my life that single road um what a beautiful country australia is to be honest sydney brisbane the gold coast cairns townsville I learned to sail. I learned to dive. I lost my hair. I lost my wisdom teeth. I learned. To, <laughs> I learned to cook for three months in a in a camper van. <laughs> I discovered. What did I discover? VB beer, Tim Tam biscuits. I learned how to catch a um, those fucking spiders. What were they called? Those hideous spiders. Um, huntsman. The huntsman oh, spider. Oh,
4: they're that That's big. big.
3: This thing is about this big and they crawl into a camper van when you've got your, you know, you've got your little tent up and you're sleeping in the back and these fucking things just hang there and you've got to catch them with a big sort of pint glass and chuck them out the window (laughs) So uh, for me, for, I've got many, you know, lovely European roads in a 964 RS and all that sort of stuff. But frankly, the A1 from Melbourne to Cairns would be my chosen road. And we should all move to Australia. What a bloody magnificent country that Australia is. That would be my, that would be my choice. Um, choice.
1: I have to say, I agree on all fronts, apart from one thing. Since you were there, Australia has become rather anti-speed. Yeah, And um, it's a very difficult place now to enjoy in a car unless you're kicking back in a camper van. If you've got anything with any power at all. And also, they have speed camera technology that means if if there's a cop car coming towards you, somehow they can catch you. They can work out your speed in that direction on coming, which I still believe is a lie.
3: My my Um, camper was called Eric, and I don't think we ever went faster than about 53 miles an hour, even downhill. So I was probably safe from, the, from would that. You, would
1: you repatriate Eric to the UK or do you think Eric... Oh, I'd
3: adore to find him. You know, pulling up in one of those sort of middle... and Because um, we drove then actually from Cairns to Alice Springs down to Darwin and back up to... Um, down to Adelaide, sorry, then back up to Darwin. And you pull into one of those pubs in the middle of nowhere and you discover the glass in the freezer for the beer... And everyone 's drinking beer basically on the road, so there 's no sort of drama on that there's no there 's no police anywhere there 's just those huge lorries that overtake you but yeah i I was there a year. What a magnificent country and lovely people
1: um, i'm going to go Long Manish, Manish. let 's hear where you would where would you go
4: so this was a trip that I did actually in um, driven in um october 2011 um we went from new delhi the imperial hotel in new delhi to the Oberoi hotel in agra to go and see the taj mahal and this is actually a pretty well sort of known sort of beaten track it it it's the i-19 and it's (laughs) um there are two ways of doing it the i-19 was the way that our driver took us and you will never go on a more terrifying Two and a half hour trip in a car anywhere else. Basically, there is no driver that you can hire who won't be more than one foot behind the car in front of him at every speed. You've talked about undertaking. There is undertaking, there is overtaking. There are camels in the slow lane with with bushels of wheat or whatever that are nine times wider than the camel. Uh, The best thing we saw was in the slow lane, an auto rickshaw coming the wrong way. And the reason why he was coming the wrong way was because he wasn't going to wait till the next off ramp to come <laughs> back round because he'd missed his off ramp, and it was it was an unbelievably terrifying journey, but the absolute best bit was about twenty minutes before you actually get to the Taj Mahal. You um pass a place called Fatipur Sikri, which was the the Mughal. it was kind of the, the mogul capital of India in the sixteenth century. So all the traffic slows down there, and i I was sitting there, my son was five. My wife's on the other side. My sister's in the back with us. And um, there was a little boy with a cobra. You know, there are people selling you stuff. You mean the, the snake,
5: not the
1: beer?
4: Yeah, with a, with a cobra, a or real cobra. cobra. You mean not cobra. the
1: car, Chris? This isn't a, this isn't a herpetologist podcast.
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, but so my sister just points out this cobra to my son, who had a little obsession with snakes, and just winds the window down. So this snake is four inches away from my son's face. She get don't worry it won't bite how can she, <laughs> how can she know that yeah. so you've you know, been
3: on that road manish in a bus it,
4: it is absolutely Nuts. terrifying and then the, the most amazing thing is you pull around past Father the Pusikri, and you see the Taj Mahal for the first time as a family I mean I actually grew up till I was five in Agra so it wasn't a, a great big surprise for me we used to go for picnics almost when I was a kid but For my wife and son, it was just the most magnificent end to a journey. You see, The the plan
3: was that he was going to build an opposite one on the other side in black.
4: black. Yes, exactly. A black
3: one. There was supposed to be two.
4: So Shah Jahan was incredibly in love with his wife, Nur Jahan, Hmm. incredibly in love with her. And she died very early, giving birth to, I think, something like their 12th child. I mean, he demonstrated his love. And um, so he, he built... He, he, exactly. Well, he So he built the Taj Mahal, and his plan was to build its mirror opposite on the other side of the river in black, yeah. but his own son imprisoned him. And what he was allowed to do, and I think it was in Agra Fort, from where you can see the Taj Mahal. So what he would do is he had his bed moved such that when he woke up in the morning, with clever placement of a mirror, he could see the Taj Mahal every day and think of, no, do we feel like that about our wives?
1: Yes. 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 No. Um, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> That's a lovely story. It also it re- it reminds me of the fact that that this isn't just about roads are about much more than just going fast. You know, yeah. I think people yeah. expected us to talk about there I was on the door handles. No one said that yet. However, no. that might change. Ed would love it. <laughs> Oh, all right.
2: can you give me 10 minutes? I'll come back to you with no, some romantic Just <laughs> <laughs> Pick one. No, I, I, I am going to pick one. And so for quite a long time, whilst I was at Dick Lovett, I started arranging road tours. So I, I got out the maps of, of, of France and Italy and got my highlighter and sketched all the different B roads around France and Italy. And driving through predominantly France, It's almost impossible in the middle of France to find a bad road, but there's one particular road and fine, you can drive quickly on there if you want, but you don't have to because it's empty. It's beautiful. And it's the D996 that goes from um, near Troy or Troyes down to Dijon. Uh, i not uh, easy to remember because of the name. I was actually in a 997 at the time. You should
3: have been in a 996, really. Yeah, I should have been in a
2: 996. But but that that road, if you're ever driving um, south through France, go drive it. It's incredible. And and then I I hope someone's going to mention Switzerland because, again, this doesn't have to be through speed. But, you know, spending a day going over the multiple passes in Switzerland, is about as magical as a driving experience can be, whether you're on your own or with someone. But going up and down, just the most beautiful scenery. Um, it, it's a privilege that everyone should try and
1: find the opportunity to um, to do.
3: That's true. Um, I'm going to yeah. go
1: next because I normally end up bringing up the rear on these, and I fear that people uh, don't like me as an aftertaste. So I'm going to go next. Um, <laughs> I've uh, I've been pretty lucky. I think I've driven on most of the continents and filmed some crazy things, uh, and I'd love to tell you that it's Kazakhstan or it's uh, Ethiopia or it's Australia or some weird part of America or, uh, but I come back to France again. I'll tell you why. Part there's a bit of speed involved. The, the, the cliche road that actually lives up to all expectations is the Route Napoleon. It, it's not it's not overstressed. It's a truly great piece of road that sort of forges north of of grass. And it's easy to not spot it. It's not very well signposted. But once you get onto the right road and you follow it pretty much up to Grenoble, it's just some wonderful stretches. And it it really is a great test of a motor car dynamically. If a car works there, it'll work pretty much anywhere. The Stelvio, all these other things, they're totally overrated. Go to the Stelvio for an afternoon and it's like being told to go to the finest restaurant and then giving you some slop. It's just pointless. I don't really see it. It's It's a nice photograph to have in the album, but otherwise, avoid. But actually, if you go up the the route Napoleon Mm -hmm. and you get a bit inquisitive. There's some roads that pop off it that are really quite special. And there's one called the D 21, which sort of fires left from the route Napoleon. You're going North, just fire left and it heads down towards a place called Draguignon. And for all sorts of reasons, it's special for me. It's one of the first roads in that area that I probably tanked on a bit. And we did lots of photographs down there back in the day for autocar road tests. And it always, always worked. And I I have one of my favorite memories, which is a a photographer called Kenny P. He was a legend of the sort of performance car era and also fast bikes era. This is a man who, to film, to get stills of a motorcycle going around the Nürburgring, sat facing the wrong way on a bike in front of the other bike to film it. He was that level of madman. Anyhow, we were there for the Mark II Focus RS launch. I'd nicked a car from the launch to go there and photograph it. Kenny P was in the bushes and he he had a fantastic, you know, slightly northern accent. Kenny, if you're watching this, I love you dearly. Anyhow, he he could squeak when when, when uh, surprised. And I saw him run from a bush, in a way I'd not seen him before, pursued by two large adult wild boar. And so it was one of my favourite things, watching this, this tough northerner being <laughs> properly chased by two prehistoric-looking pigs. Cartoon boars. <laughs> and, and he had a good turn of speed, did Ken. But he didn't get the tracking shot, which was a problem. Sorry, it's a panic shot. He didn't get it. But he was. I saw him being these fucking pigs were large. And he, he, he really had to get out of the way. So I love that road. But I think I think what all, everyone else has already spoken about is that there's something romantic about the road, about the road ahead. The road ahead is a metaphor for so many things in our lives. It could be mm-hmm. that the road ahead mm-hmm. is our future. It could be that we're wistful for a different future. You look in the rearview mirror, of course, you've got the opposite, you've got your past. the, the There's something about a man, a man laying something quite obnoxious asphalt onto open ground that, that romanticises our lives in ways that I find quite difficult to interpret because... It makes you think probably too hard about your life. It isn't just about getting somewhere from A to B. It, yeah. it represents more than that. Um, I Chris do my, best, my, my best thinking in a car, my best thinking. Yeah, That's of the best
3: is. ideas, uh, driving a car. This, um, Chris Cooper, what's your... Destination.
5: Yeah, so, that, I mean, you kind of, you kind of where you finish off is where I started, really. It's a destination. Dragan there's that really nice restaurant in Dragan Bruno's, if anyone knows yeah. it. Yeah. You have to like Truffle. Slightly tedious if you don't, but it's a wonderful, if you're in the south of France for the whole day, your Bruno's, it's, it's a great destination. I've been thinking about this one quite a lot. What makes a great road trip? And you can have some great road trips work by yourself. You can be in the car by yourself, you can be singing to music, you can do whatever. And you can be going Harry Flatters. And, but I remember when I, so some of you, will, most of you will know this, and some people who listen to you will know this. I first met Tother Chris when we raced together in 2002. And we had a great... The first time we really got to know each other was our first road trip. And we drove in a Mitsubishi Evo 7. We did. From the auto car, the then auto car offices in Teddington, somewhere down there, through Eurotunnel, all the way to the ring. Spent a day pounding around. We were training for the 2002 24-hour race in the catering. And we spent a day training there all the way around, and we drove back. And it was just great fun. I didn't know Chris at all. Um, But we just got on really well, and it was just such a great trip. And it was – the destination was – I mean, we've done loads of trips since where we've driven across through Eurotunnel. And you you come off the train at Eurotunnel, and wherever you're going east across Europe or south, you just know it's going to be a great trip. And yeah. that sense of adventure when the train doors open and you go up over the ramp. Oh, it's very, where that's lovely. Monkeys, Most of monkeys' oversteer shots have been taken on that off-ramp coming out of Eurotunnel. Um, <laughs> we tried it once in a Jaguar XJ and we forgot to take the traction control off. And it didn't work. And we looked a bit
1: but I did, get it, I did get it right with the boss of Mercedes PR in an SLS once, probably a bit too right. And I was so committed I had to overtake a family in a Vauxhall Zafira as they were coming off the train. And uh, not, not everyone was pleased. <laughs> yeah,
5: uh, but I think that if I was to pick a road, and it kind of shows that you don't have to have an extraordinary car. So there's a road on Mallorca. Cyclists will know this because Mallorca is great for cycling. It's the road that goes from right at the tip of Formentor to Puerto Valencia. It's the MA2210. And I was there a few years ago with Lynn on holiday, my wife, and we had a Renault Megane convertible. It's a bit old, a bit knackered, not a great car. But on that road with the seat, the cambers, the scenery, the smell in the air, the open top, it was one of the most lovely drives I've ever had. And it just... So road trips are about destinations, and, and I think the company you've got. They don't have to be great roads, but if you want a great road, the MA-2210
1: on that right at the tippy bit of Foreman Tour in Mallorca gets my vote. Um, Anyone that has suggestions, please stick them in comments because that's the kind of stuff overseas that we like to share. Now, moving on (laughs) to another very important subject. This could be a long podcast. Um, (laughs) This is the best-looking exhaust, and I'm saying outlets, tips, um, we're not talking about manifolds. You can probably go into manifolds if you want, because I suspect Manish might get a bit motorsporty sporty here, so you can talk about white powder-coated spaghetti Ferraris if you want. Um, but uh, I'm just guessing there, Manish.
4: You but I think
1: it's, it's outlets, <laughs> not intakes, and it's not noise. Exhaust noise for me is so easily contorted by taking cats out and putting fancy exhausts on. So, um, Neil Clifford, what's your favourite-looking exhaust tips? <laughs> <laughs> Well, in, <laughs> crikey,
3: um, <laughs> my, my career has peaked, clearly. <laughs> One could easily go Ferrari, One can, and I'm sure maybe some of you guys have done, could easily go Lamborghini, you know, those four-pot answer exhausts hanging below the arse of a 275. But, you know, in, in Portsmouth in the 70s, there were no Ferraris, there were no Lamborghinis. You had to go to Chichester to see a Porsche. But what there was, was Jaguars. Yeah. And when when I was walking around and walking to school and daydreaming along when I should have been studying, in fact, if I was 15 now, I would be that guy <coughs> stood on the corner of Mount Street with a camera, with an Instagram page. You know, I. you had top trumps, as we know, in the 70s, not, not cameras, but it was the discovery of a... E-type Jaguar V12. Oh yeah, two plus two automatic. So, in many regards, the shittiest. Not E-type. a great E-type, but the exhaust, fucking yeah. four exhausts. Oh, and this awesome. car was in, I think it was called Heather. It was the pink. It was the. It was owned by a woman in Torrington Road, which was three three streets up from my house. How do you know? Do you know what number was she at? Um number 49. Okay. <laughs> it was in I think it's called Heather, and it had a cerise, so it's basically pink and pink E yeah. type. A two plus two automatic. But that badge, remember the badge, which a fucking yeah. massive V with a little twelve written inside. Yeah, a nice and these, badge. And these four big exhausts stuck coming out underneath the car. For me, that will always be peak exhaust
1: pipe. So So, actually interesting point, the best exhaust on perhaps the worst looking car ever made. Strange. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I, I, I
3: jumped straight onto classic and whatever it's called, obviously should look at collecting cars, but I looked at another website and there's one there, a fucking pink one with a full basso roof. Automatic. It's like 40 grand. I'm like, Oh my God, it's almost worth it for the exhaust. No, no, it's 40
1: grand too much for that shit. Chris Cooper, what are you going to have? (laughs) Um,
4: We can't that's see that. What's... Oh, oh that. that is an exhaust. Is that,
5: yeah, what's Honda. that on? Matra MS-11, Matra Ooh. V-12. Oh, to my mind, well the have got two jobs. They've got to make the car super fast, super loud, and they've just got to look like that's an exhaust. <laughs> and that Matra MS-12 looks like an exhaust. Um, Inconel. Do you know what Inconel is? Inconel is a nickel super alloy, uh, which is particularly resistant to the oxidization that steel would go through when it goes through extreme heat cycles. Engineers and scientists in the audience will tell me where I got this wrong. Um, But my my recollection, because I used to know a guy who ran an Inconel-based exhaust building company in motorsport. And Inconel is... So Pagani Zonda. Pagani Zonda are exhausts. Just take take the back off of Pagani Zonda. It's just in goodness. So is yeah, it white? But, is that the white stuff? Uh, yeah. It can no. it can be sort of non shiny. Yeah, it right. sort of it right. can be painted. I think, um, but Pagani Zonda are for now. But Matra, that Matra, I mean,
1: that's an exhaust. End of. I think it's fantastic. Manish, I th- Manish, I think he's. I think he might have stolen your thunder there. No, he's...
4: no, he, he hasn't. You did, but he did like <laughs> <laughs> He <laughs> vetoed me. I thought the whole point about this, we just slightly, slightly bend the rules. We're basically yeah. all really clever accountants, aren't we? Always constantly finding that way around Mr. Taxman. But it's um, so a little story here. In 2009, we went to interview Sir Frank Williams to have a, uh, a chat with him about Senna to see if we get some lines about him. And um, unfortunately, he couldn't do the interview. And we were shown around Grove because so we made the journey up by um one of their cons people and we went into the engine shop and he did exactly so at that time Williams had a 2.4 liter uh, GFW 31 had a 2.4 liter toyota engine a v8 and um they showed me the handmade exhaust manifold for this toyota it's it was the rv809 and uh they explained that even with Williams' giant technology, you know, even with all their know-how from sort of at that point, 40 years of motor racing, they, there was no one who could actually machine one of these. These were hand, they're hand-built. Yep. And it just, I held one of these things. It was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever held. And you could look at the one from the left bank and the right bank, and you could just see the very subtle differences in these that some bloke has quietly fashioned so they can bolt an exhaust onto the back. And for me, that was just, it was an epiphany. It was an absolute, the idea that you've got these carbon fiber cars and this engine comes over from Japan and you've got this amazing seat fitting and you can automate this, that, and the other. But in the end, when you need to stick an exhaust onto this engine, a bloke has to do it. Yeah, it is,
5: yeah. Which is made
4: me so happy.
5: Somebody will tell us in the in the sort of messages who, because I think there is one specialist business, certainly a leading one, maybe a couple now in the UK, that fabricates that stuff. It's extraordinary. It's real. Yeah, artisan
1: stuff. Um, Edward, what are you going to go for?
2: Well, you're not being very fair to our key sponsor, Porsche Cars AG here, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um well, I was doing my research and there's some very ugly exhausts out there, yeah. aren't there? I was also going to try and find some silly ones that have just got exhaust covers where you can, if you look in the pictures, you can see the actual outlet and then the cover in the bumper. But the Cigaris is quite a weird looking thing, isn't it? With the yes. two exhausts coming yeah. out yes. the side of the back. But you talked about the, the, the um, Mark 1 Focus RS earlier on where you look at it and it just has that stance. Yeah. And Whenever I see a 70s Porsche with cookie cutter exhausts on it from the back three quarters, it, it just, I, I need to get in that car and start it and drive it because they always sound exactly as I want a hot Porsche from the 70s to, to, to sound. Um, so a cookie cutter exhaust is my, uh, my choice.
1: I think um, I can't disagree with that. Now, I, this is a subject that I've vacillated so much on over the years. Uh, I posted on our WhatsApp group a picture of the 365 GT4BB, which is the only Ferrari that ever had six so exhaust outlets. Yeah. We'll put a picture of it now. It's actually too absurd. I don't think it's aesthetically very appealing. Yeah. But I do think it's it just shows you how far the theatre of exhaust went, even in the 70s. Um, so... And I think I, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that that the art of exhaust outlets has been subjugated recently. Car makers have totally. made them fake. They have <laughs> they have disrespected the art of the pipe, and they shouldn't have done that. It's a great shame. And I, I've I've gone through a few, and I, I you know, I, I, with Neil, the idea of a sort of a a junk, I'd call it a junk of answer, hanging underneath the back of a Ferrari. I mean, it's just. It's just so, you know, anatomical, isn't it? It just looks like a pair of nutsacks, sacks hanging. I, and I love that. <laughs> and I, and I, I love the fact that, of you know, uh, for me, a French Renault 5 Turbo with a devil exhaust, almost with yeah. like a trumpet with an expanding diameter, a great thing. But when it comes to OEM exhaust, there's one company that, for me, has always had it lit. And I just love the way they look. And they are honest. They're not trying to do anything more than they are. But what they did do is they absolutely demonstrated why that vehicle was more important than the car on which it was based. And that's BMW M. I think they've always just had it right. And the first time, for some reason, I, this still works for me now. The first time I saw an E39 M5's exhaust pipes yeah. in that subtly redesigned rear valance, I just thought, that will not be better. They had nailed. They were just the right size. They weren't ostentatious. They were just the right size. There were yeah. four of them. They were the proper four, pipes. The they were meaningful. Really. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they had to be there. They just... Go and look at one now. It's fucking perfection, boys. I can get mad e- about this. Yeah. It's e- perfection. The E60,
5: The E60 M5 is very close.
1: It's very close. Because you look at it and you think, no, it's quite close. It's not like... No, it's no, just, really. it, it, it could be that close. It's still a mile off. The E39 M5 is peak. Look at the gaps okay. between them. Look okay. at the way okay, that they're timer. presented. Look at the way they protrude. They're just, I mean, I have to stop myself getting behind these cars. Yes, and okay. <laughs> I don't think anyone will hear about that. <laughs> yeah amazing. So, um, we're going to get on to another geeky one now. God, we could do these Fast forever. Fast car names. Fast car names or numbers. I'm, okay, I'll, I'll tee this up because Manish is going to go first. So, Manish, be, get, get ready on the blocks here. I'm interested, if, first of all, in why numbers can sound as fast as very fast sounding words i don't that's another quirk of our language and of the way that we communicate with each other but i want to know what are the fastest sounding names. why is why does pagani sound faster than camry i don't know tell me manage tell me
4: lamborghini Countach clp a 5000 s4 Valvole.
1: We're going to have to practice this stuff because only I, you can do
4: that. Uh, well, how can a car sound faster than that?
1: I've just got to get some tissues. Hold on. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> it, it's true. It's absolutely true. It just something 5,000 S in Italian. What At the end of that, how can something sound so fast? I, I could bring up my old psychology notes because I did a big module on Noam Chomsky and the acquisition of language. But there is just something about numbers, isn't there? Numbers are just numbers are just so sexy. They are just so sexy, and adding that extra zero for no good reason at all <laughs> just made you know the car what fifty miles an hour faster, didn't it? <laughs> no, it just didn't.
1: Oh god, I think yeah. I think we've peaked there.
5: Chris Cooper, come oh, on. No, so, um, I mean some obvious ones, really, aren't there? Thunderbird, Ooh. Firebird. I mean, how fast do they sound? Um, Valkyrie. I mean that's just going to be an animal, isn't it? I mean we know we know we know it's fast because we've seen it. But if somebody said I'm going to call it Valkyrie, so it got me. I've cheated a bit here. I've sorry gone a bit off piece. Uh, and I sorry I couldn't help myself. I looked at then um, fast racing drivers' names. Oh come uh, on! Don't give me Lorenzo Bandini. No, Scott. <laughs> well, we, we know Scott Speed, Will Power, Nick Swift, Chris Cooper. Those are all super fast racing. Drivers. <laughs> Fireball Roberts. There's a NASCAR driver <laughs> called Fireball Roberts.
2: Um, lightning McQueen. Uh,
5: dick, dick. Passwater. Dick. Tri- <laughs> dick Trickle. We <laughs> know Dick Trickle. Dick Seaman. I mean, how can Dick Seaman be a racing driver now? Hold on a minute. You're
2: sitting, what you're
1: sitting with the grass and dick. Love it. Be careful. It's, it's <laughs> dick Seaman. <laughs> can i I stop there for one minute and ask you one question is it true can you confirm to everyone else that doesn't live in the west country that when when your family opened up a large body shop business it was called dick dick lovett (laughs) spray (laughs) master good name that good name
4: Oh, is, right,
1: so, is. Chris Cooper Chris Cooper, somehow you've got us on to talking about male ejaculate when we want to talk about <laughs> fucking fast car names Get back on track, son, or you get a detention prefer his, prefer the really racing driver name. I mean, it's
5: like Doc Savage, isn't it? I just, I think if you had to go for the fastest car name I think the Americans Ford Thunderbird Okay. I mean, just, you know, the Beach Boys all that stuff
1: it's brilliant that's what I go for. Um uh Neil
3: Clifford, bring us back, please. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a couple. If you w- bear with me, for me it was often about the longest possible badge. So if you go, and I'm, I'm doing a bit of a Ford reference here. When you saw that Granada oh. Gear I X. X. <laughs> X, the fucking length of that, I must yeah. be such yeah. an There's impressive nothing without thing. the X. Yeah. You had to have that X. You did. Yeah. Dear I X yeah. Granada. Yeah. But I think that, so, so I was always impressed with that. But the, the, the best car name for me is the Jensen Interceptor.
5: Oh, yeah. My, my boy said that. Cameron said that It's last the night.
3: best car name. Yeah. It's the um, unbeatable, the Interceptor. I mean, whatever happened to Jensen i'm sure it's been bought out for the 17th time and some guy's going to bring a new Jensen but it's the it's the it's the best car name
1: there we go i yeah, would um, yeah. love it i don't know what you, you're in good fooling today just keep this sensible go
2: i will I, I to be honest with you i was i was struggling here neil i went a bit your direction trying to think of uh, and mercedes are the worst culprit of this mm-hmm. over the last 10 years of how many letters and numbers can you get on the rear boot lid of a Mercedes? I think it's like something like an E three hundred compressor, Blue Tech, or something like that. Twenty
3: four valve.
2: Um, uh, but the, the the names for me are Bentleys, Speed Six, oh, Speed Eight. Nice.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay, that's so good. for me, it, it's numbers over words. That's the bit that I can't decide i can't understand why i think it refers back to our youth neil's just touched on it there the stuff that captivated you when you were a kid and i think part of it was was thinking i'm, not, I'm enough of a geek i've seen from the front of the car what i think it is and that walk round to the back to have it confirmed by a boot badge and I, I was obsessed with bmw so for me the idea of seeing a 320 thinking oh if i go around the back has it got two exhaust pipes is it a 323i yeah and that also made me realize there's something about symmetry why does 323i the repeat of the of the 323 why does that sound faster than 320 i don't know the i makes all the difference as well someone get inside my head and explain this why does 250 gto on paper look like it's doing 170 miles an hour but to me 275 doesn't look as fast 275 is quick but 250 is faster i don't know why But surely, isn't it as simple as we know what a 250
5: GTO is and we know... I
1: I think uh, there's certain Ferraris that if I just saw their name on paper and didn't know what they looked like when I was reading in Car Magazine, I just knew they were fast. The 500 super fast. 2.7 RS. 2.7 RS just looked fast. Why does 2.7 faster than 2.2? I don't know. It's not because it's bigger capacity. But I I found these things captivating. I really did. And And you can give me any number of Pagani... Yeros or. That is a. You K know. trims,
5: the R5. I think the R500 K trim has always sounded better than the R600 or 620.
3: R500, it's a round number. It's 500. What else do you need to know? I think that, that car was a mythical car because it was the fastest 0 to 60, wasn't it? Uh,
4: that
3: R500 K series. But as yeah. you
2: the, tell- the BMW one, Chris, as it was in obviously as a BMW fan, you know, when, when they started going off into. Two one eights and things like that. It would just totally lost it. You, I know, where's a three thirty? Well, actually, three thirty was quite a movement away from the three to eights that we loved.
4: ones and twos, and sound slow, don't they? If you have a BMW one something, three... or a BMW two something,
2: yeah. I know. But a one a one four five i that doesn't sound too slow. No, I know. Sorry, no. one three five but i. The they
1: became meaningless as well. Three, you know, the, the, yeah. a three two three i was you know, about the sweat capacity. I can remember the first the first time it got me was when a 323i had a 2.5-litre engine suddenly. That was in about 1998. Yeah. And I, and I remember speaking to the BMW press office, and I felt like driving around there and hurling extra at them because I just couldn't believe they'd broken the sacrament. <laughs> he shouldn't be allowed. Anyway, no, for me, because I'm, this is sponsored by BMW M uh, today for me, it's the M5. I just, there's something yeah. about the combination <laughs> of the m and the number five that just gets me going. And it, it just did possibly fast. Just yeah, it's better fast. than
5: M3. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: I'm going M5. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, we are going to, at this point, insert a little bit of F1. There's not much F1 chat this week. McLaren made some changes. And uh said, we know it's a slow news day when we want to discuss Valtteri Bossas' uh, moulet, which I'm not that interested in because he seems to be getting a lot of currency out of it uh, on Instagram. But I will say this. Daniel Ricciardo um, actually has scored the same amount of points as both of his new McLaren uh, replacements. I'll I'll give him that one. But he seems to be reduced to the role of of social media monkey. I'm not sure I like it. I think there's a certain sharp it for some people, but all we get is him doing pranks. I think he's better than that, isn't he?
5: Yeah, I think it's it's a bit I'm a bit worried about it. In all seriousness, I'm a bit worried about him, Danny. It's just he's a bit lost. And I think getting him to do these silly clownish things is a bit not very dignified. Um, Isn't he
3: just enjoying his $15 million? I
5: mean, he, I mean, he could be. He could be. And maybe that's compensation. But, I mean, he's never going to come back, is he? He's no. never going to come back. It's just, no. you know, it's a, it's a conveyor belt. And we can just know that, although this year's F2 crowd doesn't look like it's got very, very strong. A whole bunch of people have been it for three or four years. So I think mm-hmm, this year's yeah. F2 won't scare the horses um but piastri's clearly been quite pretty good i mean he, but yeah danny rick i don't do you think he should up. go to nascar
4: and go and join kimmy and jensen do you think that would be good use of his time well it's surprising
1: he he's the one that's probably the best known in the u.s isn't it strange that no one's offered him a drive it must be that they've not offered him enough money I've no they've him, offered I it to him
3: he's turned it down yeah. yeah, I think he's too busy just having a laugh. Maybe, maybe it is as we see. He's actually
5: really happy, but he looked really not happy last year. So, yeah, you know, we 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 wish him well. We really do. But Edward,
1: think... when you Edward, when you finished racing at the top level and you had some time the next year, how did you deal with it?
2: Uh, I just. <laughs>
4: Uh, for those
1: listening, <laughs> what a, what a, what a, how, how, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I never reached the top, never reached those heights, Edward. Uh, you tried- him, tell, us something else, tell us something else about F1 in the next five minutes that's interesting and uh, that's th- thought provoking.
4: Well, I, <clears throat> there was something I read yesterday Stefano Domenicale was said to have said um, that he wanted to get rid of free practice yeah. over the weekends. And there were lots of ways of looking at it. The quote's supposed to be, it's good for engineers, but not good for the fans. And um, you do feel this constant wind of, we've got to sell this. We've got to sell this. you know, We've got to make Formula One even more exciting and sexy than it is. And I, I must admit, um, autosport actually dissected his words a little bit. And they yeah. came to a slightly different conclusion, which was, it's not a question of reducing the amount of track time over the weekend but it's in some way a bit like the um, a bit like the sprint races finding some way of making free practice competitive so the audience will enjoy it more so maybe giving points for free practice I mean I don't know what you'd give points for but my I suppose my slight concern is this that um, you know cars don't test anymore they just don't test they've just moved all of that money into into computer modeling and virtual testing and uh, putting drivers into sims, so you can 't go to Silverstone and watch a test, which you could back yep. in the day and it was great, it cost you nothing, and you literally you could get autographs if you wanted to it's you brilliant. Know, people hung around for eight hours, you know probably two in the car and um, and I guess it 's very important for the engineers to have this test time because that 's the time they hone. Yeah the cars but obviously Stefan is a very smart guy he knows this and the point is this that if they got rid of it or reduced it or made it less meaningful it quote unquote increases the unpredictability of the race comma therefore mixing up the grids and at some point this is starting to look a bit like a contrived you know add a bit of DRS the cost cap to it it, it, you're starting to feel the formula, I think, in all kinds of ways. You probably shouldn't.
1: I, 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 totally I, I agree. Think, in, in yeah, it's strange right. that that um, when when Federer is knocking up at Wimbledon on one of the practice courts, he's left to knock up. They're not trying to monetize that or make a stunt out of it. Every other sport allows it, its its competitors to some time to warm up and get their shit done. And I just don't see why Formula 1 can't do that. If they go down that route, they might as well keep them warming up and then just throw water sprinklers on for 10 minutes of every race. If that's if they want randomness, there's a better way to do it, isn't it? Sorry, Chris, I was talking over you then. What were you going to say?
5: No, no, I was going to say, I think there is a, there's a couple of things where, and we've talked about the complexity and the impact of the cost cap. Um, really good mate of mine who's just retired from 20 years at Red Bull. Before that, John... Um, before that he was lead designer at Raynard when they're uh, those those you remember Raynard designed their champ car their F3000 car F3 car and uh, he then spent 20 years at Raynard ret- re- at Red Bull retired um last year and he said I saw him at the end of the year and he said by the end of the year well last year he said for the first time I didn't really understand all the rule I couldn't see it I've always been able to see the rule and think about what the car is and how it works but now it's too much. It's too complicated. I don't understand it. And for an awful lot of engineers, that has taken the edge off it, and it takes the edge off your us because it's just too complicated, too messy. And I think there is something about simplifying the rule. Um, lots of people now, more people are talking, particularly with the EU uh, exemption this week
3: on Change,
5: yeah, yeah. on you can now they can now sell cars after 2035. In theory, which will only run on synthetic fuels, not quite sure we're going to force that, come back to that. So I think there is hopefully an opportunity to say, let's simplify the powertrain, have louder engines, simplify it. And I think the idea about using monetizing the free practice is part of a just stop fiddling. Actually, it's working. Um, And young people get it. So yeah, I I think I'm with you guys on this one.
3: Well, we do have a race this weekend, don't we?
4: We,
1: we do have a race this weekend. Which mm-hmm. is your favourite country in the world. It is. Yes. To what I just said there, imagine you're Dan and Daniel Ricciardi, you've gone back to your home Grand Prix and you are basically a performing chimp. You know, you're there, they Red Bull, they've got a stick and they are going right, go over there, do that. I mean, you just, don't think I they're think, getting
4: him back for giving Max quite a hard time in the early part of his career. Somebody yeah, sitting there I going, think. okay, here's the next trick. Daniel's going to wear a fez. Some flippers yeah. and some and a snorkel, and he's just going to walk down the pit lane with a beautiful girl with Red Bull on her dress. That's, that that's I reckon a they've got. I
1: reckon I reckon they've got three pots on with, with different words on a on a desk somewhere in the energy station. They just pull them out, and one you say one says penguin, one says flippers. You're quite right. And what what can we make him do now? But it, <laughs> it's, it's I think there's some of it is deserved. But I do. I think it's gone too far. I'm, I'm not, let's just say I find it uncomfortable viewing now. Uh, so uh, I wish I wish him the best, and I hope he can get back to some racing soon. Now um, we're going to move on to our two car garage today, set by Manish Pandey, a man who has a wistful addiction to a decade that began with a six. So, uh, my fellow contestants, you are Peter Sellers. It's nineteen sixty-eight. You've just had a massive hit with a film called The Party. You're a global superstar, as big in LA as you are in London. You have two homes in both. No, you don't. You have homes in both, one each, sorry. Uh, Create a two-car garage for either. Uh, The world is your oyster in 1968. So it's two cars, one's to be kept in LA, one's to be kept in London. It's 1968, Edward Lovett. God, he had great taste, didn't he? He did. Yeah,
2: and to be honest you, we don't even need to go and choose cars he wished he could have had because he had them all. Um, which ones would I have out of the ones he had? Well, in the UK, given the weather I'm currently looking outside to, which is meant to be spring, um, he is going to have his original 275 GTB4 cam in Azzuro metallizzato, recently restored, was red, now back to its original colour. And found a new home, I think, recently. Uh, so that's that's my car for London. And then in the US, I think it's got to be a Daytona Spider. Uh, those in are my two cars. Um, oh, fine, I'll, I'll send it back to Autocraft where they chop the tops off the original coupes and <laughs> turn it into a spider. Yeah, that did happen. Okay. Okay. He, he had a he had a beautiful um, Maserati Mistral Spider as yeah. well, but uh, I, I I wanted two Ferraris in my in my garage.
1: Chris Cooper, I hope you're going to obey the the years for this because Cooper um, Ed was just blown it out of the water there. So don't suddenly think you can move to seventy four or something because you no. can't.
5: So I don't know that he ever had one of those.
4: Ooh, yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Thirty three. We all Alpha know what that is, Alpha 33. Alpha.
5: It had a 2-litre V8 engine that revs to eight and a half, nine thousand. Six-speed yep. manual, Six-speed manual gearbox, 968. So I think, I mean, manage only you can really comment on this. I mean, it's an interesting character, Peter Sellers. Um, the party, he played... Did he play an Indian doctor or an Indian wasn't something an Indian else? Doctor.
4: In, in the party, he plays the most accident-prone Indian actor. He blows uh, up the set... Was, it was and a millionaire. On to a, exactly, he's put onto it. He's put onto a do not invite him to anything list. Unfortunately, that means he gets invited to a party.
5: Yeah, and his yeah. name—it's
4: got the best name, Harandi V Bakshi.
5: Yeah, he was in two films where he basically played rather caricatured Indian characters. The millionaire mm. with Sophia Loren. Oh, but don't forget,
1: his radio, to interrupt Chris, his radio. If you go back and listen to his radio I stuff, know, his Indian good. voice is, is the most common one. I mean, he's using it good. the whole time. I yeah.
4: watched the party with my very Indian mother, my very Indian sister, and our Indian cousins. And my mother wouldn't accept that he wasn't Indian. He when wasn't. the dog knows <laughs> that he wasn't, when the dog comes to try to eat his shoe, right? He says in <laughs> Hindi, "Go away, go away." And the word is "jow." He goes "jow jow" like that. My mum said, he's Indian. And I said, he's really not Indian. He said, no, he's Quite Indian. Indian. You've heard the way yeah. he said, Jao. He's Indian. And he does say, he says, in India, feet are considered a delicacy by some animals.
5: Okay. Yeah. So, that's, <laughs> if we, so if we put that slight sensitivity aside, I think an Alpha 33 Stradale is yeah. just, and they're about 10 million now. Which um, country? Which country? And, are you that? Uh, and the other one I'd have would be, because I, actually, I have a bit connection to him. So a friend of mine now, uh, or somebody I know, now owns the beautiful house he used to own in Chipfield in Hertfordshire, a couple of years before this, but we'll uh, skate over that. And I can see the garage in this beautiful house, Chipfield Manor. Um, and I think it would have in it, or outside it, a DB6 Vantage shooting brake.
4: Beautiful. Mm. Which
5: I think, I think a Type 33 and a DB6 Vantage shooting brake. So I the think 33 I could, lives in America? No, they both live in the UK. I'm Peter Sellers, I've just one, one. The question
1: was quite simple. You've got to have one for his home in LA and one for his home in the UK. Uh, he'd take the bus in LA. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I tell you what, it's like, herding cat, it's like herding cats with you lot. I'm going to have a word with you that. after this. It's just,
5: where where is rules coming from? We didn't Jesus. used to have rules.
1: Okay. <laughs> by the way, a DB six, the DB6, you can just about go for the shooting break, but DB6s are wrong. They're too big and too heavy. You know that. Neil Clifford.
3: Right, LA, you'd have 300SL Roadster. Cool.
4: Okay.
3: Alloy body, alloy bloody engine, disc brakes, rudge wheels, factory hard top, the whole fucking works. Oh. The one, one of 29, whatever. So, um, yeah, you that that's the car for LA. Uh, what would I have in the UK? You know, I, I was tempted to say what Ed did, really, which is 275, but But UK, screaming around London in the 60s, an E-Type. I'd have an E-Type. I'd have an early 3.8 open bonnet lock thing, flat floor. Flat floor? Yeah, the lovely little sports seats in navy blue, red leather. It's equal to a 275 in truth,
1: but about a tenth of the price. Okay, I can't argue with those in a way that I can argue with a DB6. Right. Well, I say um,
5: that I think he was attracted to the latest
1: thing which is why he had four wives I think you're right I, th- I think that's a fair point I think you are I acknowledging the personality needs... of the individual but I still think DB6 is not the answer to any good question It would Antish have been Atlanta, a better Atlanta,
2: Atlanta than the 330iX Oh,
5: yep,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, yep yeah. Just get yeah, Edward, get over it, it. Get over
3: it Two things on Peter Sellers Sorry, Chris One, he was from Portsmouth Was he? Yep. He was born in Portsmouth, born, yeah. 19, born in in Portsmouth. And yeah. two, if you do anything after watching this uh, podcast, watch the interview with him and Parkinson.
0: Yes. Well, it's, the most,
3: it's the most beautiful piece of... Because the guy was a lunatic, bless him. He but he, and, and probably not... I think Chris mentioned he's not that nice a character in truth, but a total comedy, utter genius. Yeah up there with the best and the, the, the parkinson on youtube where he literally just talks for an hour parkinson
4: he wasn't just a comedy genius he was an acting genius so he had yes, done yeah. he had done lolita with kubrick and when he played quilty in that he was as good as as anyone and he did dr strangelove if you look at that he played Love. big parts and uh, not every single line is fine. Mean, I know Dr. Strangelove himself it's, it's very funny, but, you know, you, he wanted, Kubrick wanted him to play Major Kong, the B-52 pilot as well. And he pretended he had a broken arm because he just could not face that.
1: Beautiful. Couldn't
4: face that. Amazing. He's,
1: he's, uh, he's go, if you want to investigate his radio comedy, the, there's loads of CDs out there. So it's not a very good online resource, but the radio comedy that gives you the voices that refers oh. back to what Man saying. He played with these voices, but it, his his ability to conjure names as well. There's one where he's, he plays a retired actor who's fallen on hard times, who goes into a... Um, he goes in to collect his dry cleaning. I think it's his dry cleaning, and he's forgotten it, but he's a drunkard. And his name is Warrington Minge. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, fuck, he's just... He's
1: just quite, right. <laughs> genius. And, he, and, he, and he, he rolls the ass, Warrington Minge, is his name. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, so I think the only quirk I want to apply in my imaginary Peter Sellers uh, world is that he'd want to when when he's in when he's in LA he'll want to display his Britishness when he's in the UK he'll want to be okay. more international. And I think so for me in the UK it is sixty eight Edward stole my thunder he likes the latest thing to refer back to Chris Cooper as well he's bought a Daytona the car's just been launched yeah the okay thing. good cool problem is the Daytona is going to be short lived because he's stuck in town with a truck with no power steering so I suspect that gets sold quite quickly and he ends up with a and a 50 grand worth of wooden picket mini because that was his thing. He was known for driving around town in very expensive coach built minis, wasn't he? That was his thing. Yeah. So I'll say Daytona. And I think in America, there's a car that I think he owned that is one of my absolute favorites. If I had all the money in in the world, I'd have one of these. It's a 1953 R Type Continental Bentley. Mm, the, yeah. big, the big, it's the most beautiful car they've ever made, undoubtedly. Mm. His, we'll put a picture up now. They made one in a colour which should be called maroon. And I'll see if I can find the photo for it. Just sensational car. Uh, you could buy it with a manual gearbox. It, it would cruise at 120 miles an hour. And for me, that is, I could see him cadding yeah. around Mulholland yeah. Drive, in one of those, yeah. depositing his latest conquest uh, yeah. at their house. He's, if, um,
5: if I couldn't get a DBS shooting bro,
2: I'd get one of those, yeah.
3: Okay, okay.
2: But I what, could see you in Clifton in one of those, Chris. I think
1: you know, it's <laughs> Google, about
3: Google the Alan Clark car. He had one for years.
2: Yeah. In,
3: in a light need to do green. Alan Clark.
1: Mm, so green sweet. with green. Mm. Well, actually, he had yeah. a couple, didn't he? And, he did. And I, yeah. and I think the idea, but I want the one with the spats. Spats. It's yeah, yeah. just, it is one of the great shapes. Did um, you go
2: upstairs in Swindon and see PFL? I did.
1: Yeah, and it was, it was sensational. I thought he was going to keep it.
2: I think it's there, isn't it? It's it's, it's, been, it's been five years being restored. It's
1: absolutely, it's black, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Stunning. Okay, so we're moving on to... Oh, well, do I work. get
4: to do Peter Sellers? Oh, shit, sorry, out. man. Sorry. Carry on, <laughs> I apologize no. went on for so long. Carry on. <laughs> so, weirdly, I had a very similar vibe to you, Mr. Harris. I thought in America he'd want to be very English, and I thought in England he'd want to be very continental. Oh. So, in England, I gave him the Lamborghini Mura P400. It had yeah. just come out. I just Go for it. I and... about that. It's such a... I still think it's the most beautiful car ever built. Every time I see one, which isn't very often, I just slightly slightly lose everything. It's just unbelievably low, unbelievably curvy. And I think the P400 had the eyelashes, didn't it?
3: Yeah. The original. It did. So it's just such mm. a
4: beautiful, beautiful car. And in America, and I, ju- I just did think that, of all the cars he had, the one I could see him cruising down Mulholland Drive with was the 65 Bentley S3 Continental. And he had two, not one. And it's the one that ends the back of it. It's got sort of fins, yeah. almost like the American cars with the three vertical lights. And yeah. didn't they call them Chinese eyes or Chinese something? Lies.
2: Chinese eyes,
4: yeah. I mean, just such a great car. It's just basically a straight line from the side. I could see him with the roof down. In his silver version of that, with the black leather, with his you know sunglasses on, and his, you know, Brett Eklund said that he would leave notes to his cars in the cars. No, he would write to his cars. That's why he should really be on this show. He, he should he, be. He would oh. literally...
1: Neil, Neil, you need to feel less guilty about doing that now. There was someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, but the thing I is love that him the,
3: even more now. It's,
4: it's, it's really funny because we all love dogs as well, and I think she reasoned it as it's an act of love from him, and this thing cannot argue back. It just loves him back. You know, he buys a beautiful car. That's really and beautiful good. Beautiful car just loves him back. So he just left notes. They found all these notes, and it's, Can you imagine? Like, Dear Murrah, I love you so much. I look at you in the morning, and I want to melt. I want to make dear, you dear
1: Miura, I'm unsure of your polar moment of inertia during long right-handers. <laughs> now I'm not sure I could do it out loud, but it might be the right <laughs> thing. <subject. laughs> I love that That's story. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Right, um, thank you, Manish, for that, another pearl there. Uh, so, a bit of music. Manish, you might as well continue that one. Where are we going with Muzak
4: today? OK, so we're going to go for the song from the film The Party. He, um, it's a really funny moment that everybody's ignoring him or being mean to him. And this very beautiful French starlet who's there to make a great impression on General Clutterbuck, who owns he's, he's the studio head. General Clutterbuck, he's got this great line. He goes, who's a foreigner, a general? <laughs> like that, when they first see him. He goes, some weirdo my wife invited. So um, everyone's mean to him, but this lovely, lovely French woman starlet, um, is the only one who talks to him very very nicely, and she said, "Do you speak French at all?" And he goes, "I know one thing in French." And he says, la direction de Tour de vous plaît. that's all he says to her. So, in the middle of this film, she starts singing the song, and it's actually written by Henry Mancini, lyrics by Don Black, and it's called "Nothing to Lose." And she plays it on her guitar, and he needs a wee really badly. So you have the yeah. most romantic song ever, and an Indian who needs a toilet. It's Perfect, and you have gotta hear this <laughs> in a car,
1: okay. Edward, on to you
2: speeding car going 90 in the rain. Uh, Tory Lane's The Color Violet. I stumbled across it today whilst hunting down some automotive related tracks.
1: Okay, you heard it first. I'm writing these down because I'm about to go on a drive, so I want to get I want to put these into my uh, my title in a minute. I'll watch up your link.
3: Um, in my little Volkswagen combi with my now fabulous bloody wife, we had three CDs to last us four months. <laughs> one wow. was, uh, one was out of time REM. One was stone temple pilots. And then there was the counting crows. Oh. Yeah. It was called, wow. um, August and everything. And it's a wonderful album. As always, I say, Brilliant download the old bloody album and, uh, uh, even though I was going to choose the first song, I'm going to choose "Perfect Blue Buildings" Ooh. on that album. Wonderful,
5: Something
2: great brilliant song.
3: Yeah. So I've
5: got two two suggestions before I get to my music, that, and the suggestions link the fast-sounding car names with Ford with Peter Sellers. Two more racing drivers. These are real things. Stingray Rob, <laughs> and if Peter Sellers, if Peter Sellers had played. An Englishman trying to be a NASCAR driver. He would have been, and I'm not making this up, Duck Waddle. <laughs> I
1: like, that. I like that. The tune Chris, is Florence Chris, and the just, Machine. You've Chris, got the Just love. before you do that, can I ask one question? Because well, that, that that is a, a remarkable piece of behaviour there. So when you were at school, when you went from maths to English, and you were in a different room, a different block of the school, and someone said, "So, how do you feel about King Lear's relationship with Ophelia?" Did you say Pythagoras? I would have I actually did that. I actually did it in a French
5: in a French language lab, I actually recited one of the episodes of The Muppets when the Swedish chef would just put somebody in the. <laughs> and funnily enough, nobody
1: saw the funny side of it. I got re, I got you know, there is a psychiatric
4: like, term for it it's called a perseveration <laughs> error. yeah whatever. Do you, remember that? Do you
1: remember the two, do you remember the two Ronnie sketch where they did answering the question before oh, yeah. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's too complicated. I, I I need to be a bit more
5: creative, but yeah. Right, go Sorry, Machine, you've got the love. Chris, give us your music. That was, Florence and the Machine, you've got the love. I think it's a wonderful, oh, lovely, wonderful, track. wonderful track. Okay. lovely.
1: Right, I'm I'm going to go for uh, a tune that everyone will think of me trying to be a bit too young, but it's a band from 20 years ago, Jurassic Five. I think they're absolutely brilliant, mm. and there's a tune that has got a bassline, and it's called A Day at the Races. If you listen to it. Be careful, it makes you want to drive really, really fast. So lovely. I'll sign this off by saying, listen to A Day at the Races, but just keep it's those cool. testicles cold. <laughs> um, and that is a lovely way to wrap up what's been the most enjoyable episode 11 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. Please leave some comments. They not, It's more pleasant if they're positive comments. Uh, and um, get involved. And we've got our Spotify playlist. How many people on that now, Edward?
2: 2,000 people. And we have used a a different format to record this today. So if there's any issues Mm. with video quality, we, we are trying to improve
1: where possible. I'd like to say thank you to my fellow addicts, Neil Clifford, Chris Cooper, Edward Lovett, and the great Manish Pandy. And we'll see you next week.